And if it wasn't 68, it was 73 on our first furloughs. Uh, we used to live in Minneapolis, and uh, my husband was a civil engineer, and I was a teacher in the Minneapolis schools. And then we had three children, and I was a stay-at-home mom. And the Lord started talking to us about missions. And Chad responded right away, but I didn't because I felt like I had these three children um, within three years, and I just felt like I couldn't possibly go down to some jungle and uh, give up my washer, dryer, vacuum cleaner, refrigerator, you, you name it. And uh, so it took three years of um, the Lord's dealings with me before I was able to say yes. And part of it was that our oldest boy, when he got about four or five, he prayed that God would call his parents to be missionaries so he wouldn't have to wait until he was a big boy to be a missionary. And the story of all my life and call to missions is in this book right here. And uh, Russell, the one that prayed that prayer, uh, did consider himself a missionary all the time in, in Colombia. The Lord sent us to a primitive tribe in Colombia. And um, in 1983, he was kidnapped by the communist guerrillas. And that was a very, very traumatic time for us. And the story is told in some of our books. But the one I want to call to your attention is this one. The ma main book that Russell wrote was called Rescue the Captors, about his kidnapping experience. But this is Rescue the Captors number two. And this tells what took place afterwards. And right now, um, two of my oldest grandchildren are making a movie about this. They've been working on it for a year at least. And they have filmed it, and now they're just doing the editing. And they consider that it's going to be of the quality to put in theaters in Latin America. It's, it's in Spanish, but it's going to have English subtitles. And so I don't know if they're ever going to let us see any of it up here, but... Hopefully, yes. And um, then we have another book that I want to call to your attention, and that's High Adventure in Columbia. And some of you very old timers here in this church may have had the first edition. This is a new edition, all new pictures, and uh, somewhat rewritten. It's 400 pages, very long. But I think you'll find it's exciting. It's all the adventures. That, and how the Lord intervened for us to go into this primitive tribe and, and get a toehold there. And now Chad is going to come and tell you, um, oh, I should say that Russell, after he was uh, released, he had a great burden on his heart for the people who had kidnapped him. And that's why it's called Rescue the Captors. He felt he knew his father and others who would be working on getting him released but his guards, the ones that were there with him in the guerrilla camp, no one was ever going to release them. And he saw that their only hope was to come to know the Lord. And even then, it may cost them their life, but at least they would go to heaven to be with the Lord. And so this is a ministry that he's been working in. He has 20 radio stations going all through all parts of Colombia. And he... Uh, has all kinds of good programming 
and he's aiming at the country people and at the warring factions, the drug runners, the, the communists, the right-wing paramilitary squads, and, uh, and just the country people in, in general. And so I think you would enjoy this book, especially if you've read the other one. And um, he, one of the exciting things that he's done is he works with Galcom. Galcom makes these little solar powered radios and they're pre-tuned to his frequencies. And he flies over the jungles and drops them with parachutes together with a Bible or a New Testament and other Christian literature. And, um, and, and this uh, pre-tuned radio. And he has it turned on so when it comes down, it's playing. And uh, sometimes they hang up in the trees, but they're still playing and somebody will come walking through the jungle and they're solar powered so they don't run out of battery. And uh, they'll say, oh wow, what's that up there? And then they'll climb up in the tree and get it. And there's been conversions from, from that type of thing happening. So we've got a lot of things going on, and later on I'll be showing you a lot of pictures of the Kogi Indians, this very primitive tribe that we went to live among. And now Chad will come and, and say what the Lord has placed on his heart. And I just want to say I was so blessed by that testimony of the young lady that was up here before, because, you know, we come up from Columbia, and, and all things you see on the news and Facebook and Everything, it sounds like the whole generation is going down the drain. And I'm so pleased to know that the Lord is working and that there is raising up an army of young people that will be different from this culture and, and will really be walking with the Lord. Oh, can we say that our books are a free will offering? We would like to get average about $12 for this big one and about 10 for this size, and then down maybe seven for this one. This is the first book I wrote. And like five for these little ones, or two, or one, or whatever. And the main thing is if you'll read it, we want you to take it. God bless you. Well, the nostalgia to be back here uh, in this church in Montevideo once again. I must have preached here upwards of 20 times. Way back when Pastor Worsh was pastor here, I used to do a sometimes a whole week of teaching uh, in this church. A lot of the people that I was preaching to at that time have gone to be with the Lord. I didn't know I was going to live so long. <laughs> As the black man said, if I had known I was going to live so long, I'd have taken better care of myself. <laughs> and so, but the nostalgia of it is very, very fascinating to me. And especially now with Father's Day. You know, I was 35 when I got to Columbia. The Wycliffe Bible translators almost didn't accept us because they didn't think I would have enough useful years 
to justify my coming to Columbia. We've been there 48 years now and outlived almost all the other missionaries that went to Columbia. And so the, uh, but the Father's Day is very interesting because I'm, I have four children. How many grandchildren do you think I have? I have 15 grandchildren. And one of my grandchildren is with us this morning. Yakira is right here. She's uh, one of Chatty's daughters, and she's been very helpful to us. And so the... Uh, uh, So I not only have 15 grandchildren, I have two great-grandchildren. And the Lord has blessed me so that where we're living when we're in Bogota, I can look out the window and see my great-grandson who looks just like I did at his age. And uh, kind of a gratifying thing to me to see him playing out there. He can kick the ball for soccer. He uses his left foot. He's left-handed. But uh, just a joy that the Lord has enabled me to live so long to actually see my great-grandchildren growing up. Now, the, uh, I should give you a little information about Colombia. Lots of people don't realize what a major country Colombia is. It's not some little banana republic. Colombia is a little larger than Texas. It has more people than Canada. It has five cities over two million. And the capital, Bogota, is over 15 million. And so it is no little banana republic. It is a major Latin American country. It's got twice the population of Venezuela. And so, the uh, uh, I think it's a it's a major work there. Now we have two major places that we're working. One is in the north, and there's three fingers of the uh, mountains the Andes Mountains coming up from southwest right straight across the country to northeast. But in addition to that, there is a separate isolated mountain range. It's about 100 miles on a side, 
forms a triangle totally separated from the Andes, and it is the Sierra Nevada de Santa Marta, the snow-covered peaks of Santa Marta. And the peaks there go are the highest in Colombia. They go up to over 19,000 feet in 45 miles from the coast. And in that triangle is the Kogi tribe. For many years, lots of people never realized that the Kogis were even there. And, uh, but they are. And uh, we estimate there's something over 15,000 of them. And they've been an exceedingly difficult tribe to work with. To give you some idea, there was a missionary couple that tried to work with the Kogis just before we came. And it's a crime punishable by death by poisoning for a Kogi Indian to give out language information or cultural information. They worked 14 years, never got an invitation to a Kogi village, never had even one hour's time with a Kogi Indian on the language. After 14 years, they gave up and they dropped down a little bit to where the Spanish speakers were uh, and raised up a very wonderful church of believers in a place called Atankis, and they were very helpful to us when we were trying to get going. All that story about how the Lord opened up the Kogi tribe. And uh, it was done through walking in the spirit, which is one of my main teachings, is to walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That's the great promise that we have. And uh, so that's Galatians 5.16. And the... Uh, it took two years to enter just uh, four little families. And we spent two years there. And then later on, through the healing of the main witch doctor and shaman who was dying, that story is in High Adventure in Columbia how the Lord healed him and uh, caused him to uh, give the first prayer that a Kogi has ever prayed, thanking the Lord for healing him. And so he brought all his people to hear God's message one day and then the next day the women and so the Lord opened up that whole tribal area, and there was a 
beautiful place for an airstrip, but the old Kogis didn't want it. And uh, so as I was leaving uh, the tribal area, it was three days trip. As I was leaving there, the Lord just spoke to me and said, uh, I was looking at this little old lady who was, looks like she was just doubled up, waiting to die. And the Lord just spoke to me and said, do everything you can to help her. And so I said to Santiago, my Kogi helper, we need to stop and help her. He said, no way. It's getting dark. Kogis don't travel after dark. It's starting to rain. And we got to move on to the next spot. But I pulled the, the lanyard of the pack animal, dropped the load to the ground, and that stopped us. And I put my hand into the duffel bag, and right on top, I found the four major medicines that I wanted to use, which was uh, for the ears, the eyes, the headache, and the uh, uh, problem she had. And so uh, I prayed for her, and we left, and we went back to where we were living three days away. After about three or four days, here came three runners from Mamarongo. And they said, you can come and build that airstrip now anytime you want. And I said, well, what made you change your mind? And she, they said, remember that old lady that you treated on the way out? And I said, yeah. Well, she's completely well now. She can see and hear, and uh, the infection is totally cleaned up. And uh, I said, well, that's nice. And they said, yes. And she's the owner of the airstrip location you want to use. And so the Lord opened up. And what a day it was when we made the first landing into Mamarongo with a, a light airplane that Wycliffe had, a helio courier. And uh, so that was part of the, but the other part of our work, in addition to the uh, part here in Santa Marta, we also have a major work in the southeast of Colombia, uh, out from a town called San Martin. And uh, into there, 
we, the Lord has helped us to establish a major work among the guerrilla forces. And we've had dozens of converts among the guerrillas. And then we started getting uh, guerrillas shooting up at us. So I told my son, Russell, who was flying, I said, Russell, what you should do is sit on a, a cast iron frying pan and that'll stop the bullets coming up. And uh, I said, now that's what the World War I, Eddie Rickenbacker and those people used to sit on a frying pan to uh, impede the uh, bullets coming up from the ground. Now, Russell didn't like that idea, so he got himself some night goggles and flew after dark and dropped the uh, parachutes with the radios at about four in the morning before it was light yet over that particular area. So anyhow, we have over 20 radio stations now, uh, which is very important right now into Ecuador. The wonderful radio station HCJB, which has been a shortwave uh, station for maybe 50 years, was closed down by Correa the dictator of Ecuador. But we can, from our locations, we can broadcast into all of Ecuador. And we can also broadcast into all of Venezuela. And uh, so all of that is open to us. And uh, the Lord has enabled us to uh, be able to reach into all those areas. And I think Patty, my wife, has got some pictures of the Kogis that she's gonna show you. And so I'll just leave that with her. And I'm gonna take the mic back to her so she can kind of give you a play-by-play -play of what's happening and isn't this awesome? Yeah. If you were thinking that you can retire from the kingdom, think again. Because these people are still going for it, and it's just awesome to see that they are still ministering and uh, staying faithful. And I'm going to get this mic back here, and we'll show you a little bit of what their ministry is doing. Well, I want to tell you right up front that these pictures are not typical of all of Colombia. This is a Colgi village. This is an isolated tribe up in the high mountains of northern Colombia. And um, 